Our comrades at Black Feminist Future will be hosting a free virtual experience celebrating the legacy, power, and possibilities of Black feminisms on August 28th. We deeply believe that Black liberation is achievable. And to get there, we must center Black feminisms, build power, and organize to defend and protect Black women, girls, and gender non-conforming folks. Jubilee will be a space to be reintroduced, re-energized, and renewed in Black feminisms. Register for free at BlackFeministHomecoming.com. Hey, y'all. I'm Aon. And I'm the Lioness. And you're listening to Box Number 512 Podcast. Roll Black Trans Woman Talk. Changing your world one conversation at a time. The show begins now. If you would like to see this episode along with other exclusive content, Make sure you become a patron by going to our box number 512 podcast Patreon page where you can become a patron for as little as $5 a month. The link to the page is in the show notes for the show. So make sure you go on over there if you would like to see the episode in addition to listening to it. All right, y'all. Back to the show. Hey, y'all. Welcome to another installment of box number 512 podcast. Grown Black Trans Women Talk. I am your co-host, Ayan. And I'm the Lioness. How y'all feeling? Yes. Another so episode, wanna, girl. Yes. So we're going to roll over right into our updates. So, sis, why don't you kick it off? I will kick off updates today. So my week has been quasi-stressful. I will give a praise report slash testimonial. So um, it's very minor, though. Um, um, my Wi-Fi had been gone, had been acting up for quite a while, and it was acting up this morning, and it had been off for for around forty-eight hours, and um, we were getting to the point where we were frustrated. So my husband said, my husband had called the folks, and you know they were, you know, we got a call center in India, and it was, you know, the person wasn't really able to be helpful, and they weren't necessarily the most communicative because they didn't, you know, it was it was to be a barrier there so we were frustrated so me being the shady girl that i am i go on to the at&t um page and i was like let me just see what their social media is given just because maybe they don't know you know what's the tea so i didn't expect it to get this kind of response but i um AT&T. i'm gonna pull it up really fast here we go um I was having a conversation with my, my sister-in-law. We were talking about how frustrated we were. And so I went on their social media and I was just like, well, let me see what they give. And I'm, mind you, I'm already pissed. I'm having to go and, and, and cancel meetings, go to public places for a service that I'm paying for. So this is all the context. So they posted on their social media, if your life was made into a movie, who would cast to play? Who would you cast to play you? And I responded, I live in the, I'm not going to tell my zip code, area of Decatur, Georgia, and my Wi-Fi has been out for multiple days this month. It is still out now, and according to you and your unhelpful customer service agent, it will be out again for the next 24 hours, bringing this total time to 72 hours. There were more than five days where it was off in July. 
the connection is so unstable in spite of my unlimited plan that I never really get the full benefit of Wi-Fi anyway. But as someone who works from home and is having to go to public places to work for a service I am paying for with no reason for the problems, I would probably be, I would probably be played by Samuel L. Jackson in drag. And the opening scene will be at your office filing this complaint in person in rare form. They responded. <laughs> they were like, we've confirmed the service status in your area. We're quickly working to reserve this. And then they told me to sign in to keep up progress. But of course, being me, I was like, no, you're going to feel me. So I went on another post and posted something else. I'm not going to read that one. But um, the, within minutes, I'm not even lying to you, of my first post, my internet service has been on and it's the strongest it's ever been. And the, it begs the question, <laughs> it begs the question, why was it off in the first place? If you could just, if all I had to do was embarrass you on, so, embarrass you on social media for you to turn it back on. But shout out to AT&T. I see you're listening and you're watching and hope- Maybe they might can sponsor the show, honey. Or maybe, maybe we can take this teachable moment and make it a thing, you know? Here at Box Number Five Four Podcast, we do support redemption stories. And so if you'd like to support a Black trans business, AT&T, we'd be very, very happy to support and, and, and to partner with you here at Box Number 512. But I just wanted to get that praise report because very often, uh, particularly, uh, uh, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm, gonna, I'm speaking as a woman of color, I have had to really learn how to have agency. I'm very used to companies just kind of telling me something and then kind of like rolling with it because I don't want no smoke right? Like this idea of me not wanting to be too much in the space or be perceived as angry. And today I was just like, no, I want you to feel that. I would be Samuel L. Jackson in drag. And as the first scene of the movie, I will be at your office filing this complaint in rare form. And I feel like it was just so empowering to know that I was able to put that into the atmosphere. And within minutes, something that had taken days and us calling and calling and calling, Within minutes of me embarrassing this big company online, they were like, ooh, ooh, girl, this could go viral, let's respond. And they hit me up in the inbox as well. Like, yeah, they my service was on within minutes of my initial post. So for those for those of you out there listening, my praise report is, is that you can speak truth to power and it sometimes works. Sometimes. Sometimes. Because now I was speaking truth to power on the, on the phone. But something about the way that hit on the computer in 2021, they were like, oh, no, we don't want no smoke. And I, I mean, immediately turned off. So, yeah, that's my first report. Um, other than that, my week has been busy, busier than it needed to be because I've been having to push back meetings and things. So I've been kind of dealing with that. Um, I have been walking at the mall with my sister-in-law. That's like our new thing. Um, and um, the last couple of days, we did around 3.2 miles a day in the mall. And it was cute and I have, I'm having fun and getting my workout on. Um, it's amazing to see the diversity and the people that are there, but it's amazing to also be around our seniors. You know, a lot of times, particularly during COVID, I feel like a lot of these folks were in their homes and they were very afraid to come out and to see them out socializing and it's, it's like a thing going to the mall over, over here. It was Stonecrest Mall that we went to. Um, it was kind of like, it's kind of like a thing before before 11 a.m. when the mall starts and you see the mall walkers and we, there's this lady that we call the mayor because she know everybody and she's the fastest walker in the mall. She laps us multiple times around and she has to be maybe in her 70s if I have to guess, but she is in amazing shape and she, and she just be killing it and she'll break into her little dance while she walking 
And I think I talked about that previously, but I am just excited about this new little collective of people. There's a there's a lady that we dubbed the first lady, then there's Madam Perseverance. Um, then there's, you know, we, we have our little names for the for the folk in there, but they are all so sweet and welcoming and just happy to be alive and around each other. And it's just so excited to see that. And I hope that folks will do the right thing with COVID so that our seniors can not lose out on their opportunity to socialize. Yeah, girl, they're they're not gonna do the right thing, girl. No, yeah, end up shutting down tomorrow. Yeah, girl. I, I saw the pictures from Lollapalooza and all of that. No. Yeah, it was a mess. But yeah, that's my week in a nutshell. What about you, Brianna? Um, nothing much has changed. Um, work is still work. Um, work is getting a little bit better, but that's mainly because I'm taking a number of days off next week and I'm not traveling anywhere, but I'm doing a staycation in the DC area just to, to, just to trick my mind and to think that I'm traveling, but I'm going to just be like across town, um, in a nice area, in a nice hotel, just, uh, feeling the vibes and off, uh, yeah, nothing, nothing has changed. Um, I'm, bitch, I'm having a hot girl summer. Um, I'm happy to say on a on a freaky note, since the, the topic will be about sexual pleasure and all of that, my rotation is starting to come back um, of, of pieces that I like to cut up with and like men that are like talking to me that are interested in, in me. So I feel, and most of the men that are trying to take me seriously, they're significantly younger. I think like the youngest is 22. So I'm just I'm just being open to like getting in the habit of talking to men and just being conversational. And um, the conversation hasn't gotten ignorant yet. So I'm just I'm just having time being in this space, actually dating. The caveat was yet. You were like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yet. You know, they they haven't said anything to give me pause or piss me off. So I'm just I'm just having fun, enjoying the moment. I'm not, as I said before, I'm not really um interested in a serious relationship or anything like that. Like I'm I just want to have fun and feel, you know, feel the field and you know, orgasm and just you know, just have just have a good time, be safe, have fun. And then when I'm ready to have you get up out my house, you can get up out, out my house so I can go to sleep comfortably. So um, it, it was kind of dry. It's been kind of dry for a couple of weeks. So I'm glad that the, the rotation is back on and popping. Um, my mom is great. Friends are great. Uh, things are winding down in my job. Um, I'm a little less than two months from ending my position and transitioning into another position. I'm also waiting to hear back from another job opportunity back in Chicago. So um, things are good right now. I just paid my rent, even though my money is not where it should be. And every time I turn around, I have to pay for something else. We're trying to take our business to the next level. That should cost money. Um, I feel like my wisdom teeth is one of my wisdom teeth is, um, is coming in because my my jaw feel really tight and it's just like girl every time I think I've done paid something for my teeth something else happens so I'm just trying to schedule everything before this insurance runs out before I have to switch to my new insurance so it's just like every time I try to save I need I, ha I end up having to pay for something else but it's called being an adult it's called being single and you just, you just have to go with the flow, but I'm happy to be here. I'm happy um, that our podcast is expanding and 
Um, we're working our way towards um, planning some things and getting some things set in stone and shit costs money. So um, we truly thank you all who contribute to us financially on Anchor and who also um, contribute to our Patreon because that money really does go back into the podcast. Um, and like we do this for the love and we do this for fun, but to to be consistent and take it to the next level, shit does cost money. And um, we're really trying to invest back into our baby. Like this is our baby. So thank you all so much. Before we get to the main topic, of course, we have to do housekeeping. Our final book for our summer book club is The Meaning of Mariah by Mariah Carey. So make sure you get your hard copies or you get your virtual copies on your Nooks or your iPads or however you read your books digitally. We will be having our Patreon discussion on Saturday, August the 14th at 8 p.m. Like I said, this will be our last book for our summer book. Um, We'll probably be coming out with our list for our fall reading um, book club probably in September. But um, make sure y'all get y'all books and so we can talk about it live on Patreon because I know y'all not doing nothing on Saturday. For for those of y'all that are not going out and that are read, I know y'all are not doing nothing. So make sure you put it in your iCalendar or your Google Calendar with your alerts. Alert you 15 minutes before we go live and breeze on over into Patreon and you can watch us for as little as $7. Talk about this book and create our little book community. Do we have any other housekeeping announcements? Um, nothing but to thank our patrons for all of their love and support and your generosity. Like, if you're listening to the sound of our voice via Spotify or any of our other platforms, including YouTube, and you would love to be a part of the conversation and catch that other side. On Patreon, we have exclusive content that um, that you wouldn't get anywhere else. And so while you are getting the conversation, the full thing is happening behind in Patreon, in that in that secretive world where we talk about our sex lives, where we talk about our joys and our happinesses. And so thank you guys for, for so supporting that those of you who have on Patreon. And we look forward to more of you supporting Black trans business. Yes, yes, yes. And also, if you have ideas for new kinds of content that you guys want us to create beyond the paywall, please feel free to, to DM us, email us, let us know. What do you want to see us talk about? What do you want to see us cover? I always have ideas. Lioness has ideas. But we definitely want to hear from y'all because y'all are dope and y'all support us and y'all lift us up. So let's keep the love flowing. So... We are talking about sex today, but specifically, we wanted to have a conversation about how to heal after sexual trauma. So trigger warning, uh, we will be talking about sexual assault, uh, rape, and all of that. But we're also going to be talking about how to heal and how to reclaim your power and to acclaim autonomy over your body. And we are going to be joined by a very, very, very special guest in a few um, seconds, Dr. Lex, who is just going to help us through this conversation. Um, She is a licensed um, therapist um, and practitioner in in, um, sexual health. 
um, not not doctoral sexual health, but sexual, but um, like a sexual therapist. And I think it's only responsible that we have somebody, especially a black woman, a licensed professional black woman who has her own business, who is out here doing the work to be a part of this conversation, to help guide this conversation and to really promote healing for everybody that is either under the sound of our voice or if you're watching on patreon so without further ado come on down to the lax 512 room dr lex it's your time thank you thank you for the warm intro i appreciate it so sweet of course so to start this off tell the people who you are what you do and why you do it. So bet, uh, I am Dr. Lex, she, her doctor, my pronouns, and I am a Southerner, a recovering Baptist. I am fat and pansexual, I'm black and I have natural hair. Um, I'm also a parent, a mom of two hating ass babies. I call them my gems <laughs> or hating ass babies, depending on their attitude and what they've done to me in the last five minutes. And I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, as you said, and I'm also a certified sexuality educator and certified sexuality educator supervisor. All that to say is I talk a lot about sex. I'm pretty comfortable talking about sex. And I've been doing this work for over 10 years now. It is what I'm called to do. I love love. I love black love um, specifically. And I'm going to tell you a short story about how I got into this work. I used to want to go to med school. I went to the Emory University, the Harvard of the South. Uh, <laughs> I majored in physics pre-med and I wanted to do gender affirmation surgeries. That is what I was going to do. Uh, there is a story that stuck with me as a kid about a woman trying to get an affirmation surgery in a back alley and she died. Mm. And that has always been hard for me. So I was like, I'm just gonna do these surgeries for free, the fuck, like that's what we're doing. Um, and I wanted to do Doctors Beyond Borders and like fix club feet and cleft palates and all those types of things all over the world for basically people who've always been demonized for being born the way they were born. Mm-hmm. And I would have had to go into plastics and plastics would be like nose jobs and breast augmentations, but I would be conforming people to a society that tells people who look like us that we're ugly that our broad noses aren't attractive and our fat needs to be put other places in order to be wanted. And I was like, I can't do that. I can't. I'd be like, what's wrong with your nose? Can you breathe? Like, it looks pretty <laughs> to me. I don't, what's wrong? So um, I got into therapy instead so I can heal people inside out instead of outside in. And I became a sex therapist because I, I grew up in the hood and you ain't see a whole lot of functioning relationships. Like everybody was like the Cosby's, the Winslow's, that's who they look to to see black love and then like to see black queer love, where was we going for that? Mm-hmm. Right, we ain't have nobody, we ain't see nobody um, until like our, our church choir director got kicked out the church for marrying his husband. So I wanted to do something different to give the world something different and to help heal folks and specifically black folks uh through this way right and be less stigmatizing because you know black people still don't believe in mental health but simone biles is making a way child is making a way so that's how i came to do this work and why i stay in this work that's exciting um 
Doctor, I know that in your so I love that you had from a young a young age the the idea that you wanted to be a healer. Um, how at what age did it? So you said that you heard about the trans or the ind trans individual that wanted an affirmation surgery and ended up dying as a result. Um, at, at what age did you get that healing bug though? Like, was that the incident where, where were you the kid that was always like trying to patch knees or? trying to be, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> uh, I've always been a caretaker. My mom has an autoimmune disorder. Um, so the earliest memory I have is performing CPR on my mom. Uh, and she has stopped breathing, I think, and burned her lungs actually. Um, and she has lupus, euthermiasis, so she has seizures and all those things. And I'm the one who knew to hold C-spine and to move things away. and. She'd have a seizure at my basketball game. And I'm like, well, time out. I need, you know, a 60. And let me go handle this before we go back and play. And it just was what it was for us. And at nine, I heard the story about the trans individual getting surgery. And I cried all night. I remember just crying and crying. And I used to want to go into obstetrics and deliver babies. And it was then after that story I heard... I was like, no, I got to go into plastics. I got to make sure people have access. Mm -mm. How do I give people access? All right, well, this is what I'm doing. And so from then on, I was going to go into plastics and figure out how to make sure people had access to the care that they wanted and deserved. I asked that because I do believe that healing is a mantle. And I do, and so for those, and I heard, I heard from your energy that you are definitely an empathetic, an empathetic person, and you're somebody that resonates and wants to try to be of service. And I just love that energy. I feel like that's kind of what we seek to do here in our own little way here on this podcast is to try to be of service and to speak for, to speak to and for communities that often get ignored. So mm -hmm. it's exciting to have you on today. Definitely. Go ahead, sis. Did you have any? Um, no. So I guess turning to the, the topic of the day again, like I, I just, I want to, I want to have like a real conversation about sexual trauma. And I'm, I'm so happy that we have you here, an actual doctor here, an actual therapist to kind of, I guess, through our narratives and through our stories um, to kind of coach us through the emotions of why we may have felt a certain way, or just how do we get to a place where we're um, comfortable in the bedroom. And I, I think, especially for black um, women, whether it be cis or trans, in a sexual space, because we are so over-sexualized, um, at least my experience is that it's taken me a long time to uh, feel comfortable in my sexuality, to, um, to feel comfortable in my body. Mm -hmm. um, and the at the point that I am at now is really um, reshaped. It's really reshaped how the joy and the pleasure that that I have. But I think about how long um, I've given myself parts of myself away, or how long I just kind of went with the flow because um, I thought that if I was going to be a woman, or even before I physically transitioned just as a femme person before physically transition, I thought that um, part of me um, being desirable was to give my agency away. And a lot of time I, I, that, that allowed me to get into situations 
um, that necessarily weren't the healthiest for me, that weren't the best for me. And um, I just think it's really important for us to um, to have this conversation and to really talk through or unpack some of those emotions and really get to the root of um, where some of that stuff comes from and just the different tools that we can use to kind of, when these things come up, this is how I, I should approach the situation differently, or these are the things that I should be listening for. These are the type of partners or partners that I should um, surround myself with. Um, so did you have anything you want to add to that? No, um, I just would, um, no, I don't. I would love to just hear the doctor go ahead and be doctory at this point. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Always happy to. So. I think one of the biggest thing, especially because we're living in this personal pan piece of a pandemic, <laughs> finding finding partners and lovership, right? So, folks, at the like, it's just you gotta find somebody that's gonna be on your same page first and foremost, right? Keeping your safety and their safety in the forefront, right? However y'all want to do that, and however y'all want to agree, that's what you need. If somebody's violating boundaries up front like well let's just meet up or um you know whatever their health status is uh no i don't want to get a vaccine but like i wear a mask or i'm at high risk for COVID. like where does that put you you know so people that are considering your safety as well as their own and they're weighing that in it's going to be really important just off jump after saying that, I want to go back to our childhood because what you said was exactly where I went with girlhood, black bodyhood, and the maturation, and we call it a big, big therapy word, adultification of black bodies. So kids, specifically black kids, get put as adults way before anybody else, right? So as soon as we hit puberty, our childhood, quote unquote, is over. Some of us hit puberty at nine, right? I got, I, I got my period at nine as a person with a uterus, right? Also, I will say my twin brother got hit puberty also at nine because he started having night emission dreams. Mm-hmm. And at that point, the world sees us as fair game for sexual play. So when you add in queerness and people already think, oh, that little boy is funny, right? then they already think that they have access to you for sex, for whatever their sexual pleasure is. Because in our black bodies, we are considered more adult and more sexually ready. And that's bullshit. It's utter and complete bull. That's not fair for us. But there comes this idea that, oh, we no longer need to protect them because they're fast. Mm -hmm. right? Or they out here in these streets already. So they got to learn the hard way. I'm like, but... ma'am they're 12 like that's still a a kid a whole kid and people are looking at that 12 year old but they're not looking at that 27 37 40 year old adult typically male going after that 12 year old mm-hmm. right so it starts with the skin that we're in and we're taught these respectability politics right well good girls don't do this and it comes from colonization and I'm going to tell you this, on a boat off the coast of West Africa, some kidnappers saw some black bodies on a beach that had their titties out and they got aroused. And because they got aroused on this boat, spying on these people, they was like, they must be sexual. 
because my penis is hard. That wasn't our narrative. That wasn't a narrative that the natives had of this land, the indigenous people. The indigenous people said, this is hot and we need to survive this weather. So we don't need to have all this. And chesticles are chesticles. Right. Right? And some booty is some booty. And we gonna keep it moving. But because the white people, the kidnappers, the colonizers thought it was sexy. Now these people are sexy and want sex all the time. And we've been fighting that narrative all through colonization. So now we see it, right? Oh, keep your knees closed. You can't have sex with too many people. How many bodies you got? Well, you Mm -hmm. know, and now your value goes down, right? If we add fatness to that, if we add natural hair to that, if we add um, skin color to that, if we add body shape to that, all of those have more intonation of you're too sexy and you need to tone it down. And we get that and we carry that with us and it develops into the sexual shame. Um, you said some things that are really powerful that struck out to me. The adultific- that, that the phrasing of the adultification of children. Um, I can speak for someone that at a very, very, very young age had a very strong sense of self and that self was female and I was assigned male at birth. And I remember the experience of trying to have that conversation with my mother, not really knowing the words. Um, and I talked about this before on the podcast, but my sister and I was four years old. My sister and I were in a bath together. And I remember asking my mama, what's wrong with her mama? Like, what's wrong? And she was like, what do you mean? And she was like, I was like, and I pointed and I was like, what's wrong? And she said, well, she's a girl and you're a boy. And I remember I'm a girl, immediate correction. I'm a girl and we're both girls and what's wrong? Cause I didn't, in my child mind, it just was like, I know I'm a girl and she's got something different than me and I'm confused. And my mother, I remember the look on her face of like shock and fear. And I remember her kind of taking me out of the tub and standing me up and saying, never let your daddy hear you say that. Like, had like kind of shaking me, like never let him hear you say that. And I remember the experience of growing up in this feminine body. And I remember having, you know, from a very young age, there was this assumption that my femininity was performative and it's this, and it was designed to be an attractant. And so at a young, young age, before I even knew about sex or what was going on with sex, I remember being policed. Don't sit like that. Don't stand like that. That you know, like it was like on purpose. There was this like whole narrative that everything about myself was designed to to attract attention, and that I was somehow being the word fast. And I can remember the the that traumatic experience as something that I lived with my entire life, and it made me go inward. So for the people that I went to school with all throughout my entire life, I've never had really friends call the house. And because I, I was it was it was that serious. My my friend, my um siblings were allowed to go and play with other people, but I wasn't. I wasn't allowed to have people call the house with me because my mother didn't trust that it wasn't something else, or my parents didn't trust that it was something else going on. I wasn't allowed to play with other male-bodied children. I wasn't allowed to go, like I'd never been to a dance. 
or in any event, because my parents also had a bit of shame around the idea that no matter how I, no matter what they did to be respectable in the world, that I was somehow embarrassed on the moment I opened my mouth. And, but to the adultification of children, I can relate to this, this before, before I even could understand what gay meant being called and then, you know, God, my father and I, you come a long way. I want to put that into the space. I love you, daddy. I'm not, you know, I'm not throwing you under the bus. But my earliest childhood memory of being called a faggot was by my father and not really knowing what the word meant. I remember I went and told my mom. I was like, yeah, daddy called me. And she said, what? Don't say that again. Who said that to you? And I said, daddy. And I remember the look of pain on her face. And then I knew it was something bad. And I just, just to think though, that at four, five, six, my parents were already concerned that I was, because I was feminine and they perceived me as a queer body, a queer individual, that they automatically put all this extra, like they thought protection and guidance, but it was really kind of abuse and isolation. And so, yeah, I just, what you said about adultification of children really registers for me because exactly. I think when you show up in the world queer, sometimes your parents will have that gut reaction to conflate how you show up with, I know what you're trying to do, mm -hmm. you know, like as if there's an intent. I, I think, I think that gets put on black bodies too, that kind of insidiousness of like, oh, look how, look how he twitching, you know, what he trying to do and, or, oh, you know, look how she bat her eyes. Like, she don't know what that means he don't know what that means they're just being and it's funny you say or tell your story about in the tub because i have a twin and um my twin has a penis and so i was so distraught that my twin had a penis because in my head my mama had given him something that she didn't give me and i'm like but we supposed to get the same how come we ain't both get one he used to tuck for bath time he would tuck so I wouldn't be upset so he could look like he had a vulva because I was pissed for a while and I was so upset. So he would come in and he would tuck between his legs and push everything up and back. And he'd be like, look, I got one too, Tootie. We good. I'm like, all right, all right, we cool. So I, that, that level of anguish, right? And us learning to trust children. That's another thing. Adults don't often trust children to know who they are. We're so used to, you're supposed to mold them and make them who you want to be so they can be successful that we stifle them. When children come in all knowing, all creative and confident and able until something happens that cuts that out. So that's what you told me. You said like, I knew who I was until I had the shame and so that's the difference between guilt and shame. I want to make that real clear. Guilt is, oh no, I did something wrong. That feels bad. Shame is, oh no, I am wrong. And I don't have anybody that's going to love me because I am wrong. And that happens so much with sexuality in all the realms of sexuality. Sexuality isn't just those first three letters. People tend to get caught up on that right sexuality is more than just intercourse however your intercourse may define it is how you show up in your body or how you abandon your body it is how you use your senses it is a way to have your spirit be closer to whatever god you worship it is a way to enjoy power dynamics 
or it is a way to survive power dynamics enacted on you. It is your way to embrace, build, maintain, and perpetuate close and intimate relationships. And then, of course, it's all the other health stuff, too. But sexuality is all-encompassing in who we are. And when we hold that much shame around it, baby, you're going to see some toxicity. You're going to do some things you didn't want to do in the first place. And you're going to be in a constant state of trying to figure out, how do I heal this? I don't want this. How do I heal this? Oh, you said a word how sexuality is, is, is so much more than just the physical act of having sex. Mm-hmm. It's it's your aura, it's your energy. But even, even to take that down further, it's not it can be about sex, but it's about how you move as a spirit in sex. And it's about like, so now because I've really done the work to like ask the questions like what do I like like who do I want to have sex with um how do you know how do I move past my traumas and my triggers now I can only have sex with um men who are free in their own sexuality um and for me it's like a sense of comfort and it's also a sense of safe safety I think um being a uh openly like trans woman just moving in the world and uh, being single is I can have sex with somebody and I can instantly tell whether they're comfortable in their sexuality just by their body language and their energy before they even cross the threshold of my house. Like how they're interacting with me on Grindr. Are they easily sending me pictures of them? Are they easily acquiescing to like my um, demands or not even like demands, like I'm demanding you, but just like my baselines of these are the rules that you have to go through to engage with me to make me feel safe. Anytime I feel the inkling that it's like pulling teeth or you're trying to rush me, like that, and my mind is clear enough because I've worked through the trauma. My mind is clear enough that where I can recognize the triggers off bat and I can instantly say, you know what? This energy right here, not only is the sex not going to be good, I can tell that, but I also might not feel safe because I know behind that resistance is some shame in there, and I know that shame can get me murdered. So it's it I I have the I have the mind enough, and I'm not trying to, I'm not at a point where I'm using sex or I'm using attention from man to validate my womanhood that I can walk away and I can still feel. Um, good and comfortable with my um, decision and also when it even gets to the point in the bedroom let's say they make it through the the threshold and we negotiate sex and they come and it's fine if we're having sex and like your put your I can like your body is like a mag like an opposite magnet you're pulling away from me or you got you got the hood over your head or you're trying to come in or you watch like now I'm able to pick up on that stuff and it's like you know what pull your pants up we because like because I'm just in tune to that stuff mm-hmm. and, and that stuff matters to me because I want to have a good time and I'm not going to have a good time if you're trying to have sex with me and shame and I just um mm-hmm. want more people in our community to get to get to that level of awareness because mm-hmm. I really think it's the difference between life and death for a lot of us mm-hmm. you're not operating out of scarcity Right, right. right. Operating out of scarcity, for especially for no D. So, D can be abundant. 
absolutely abundant. And I love that you have those red flags, right? You're saying, if you're not going to celebrate me and my body, then we don't need to be here. You can go to the door. And I think that's also a safety precaution, just like you said, right? Because we already know romantic partners can be trash. We, what you shame of? And you're going to try and get rid of me to get rid of your shame. And we not, right. that's not what we're doing today. It's not what we're doing. Yeah, and I, I really don't um, think we talk about that enough. And particularly in Black trans feminine community that because because the pervertedness of like white supremacy and colonialism is that those toxic men, that's who we should be positioning ourselves next to. And if we can position ourselves next to them, then we can have some type of power and just unlearning that like, I don't want to be position myself next to it because I'm still at risk. Mm-hmm. Even with it being that close, like I'm, even with me sharing the most intimate part of my body, my body or my, you know, my, I'm yeah. still at risk. So I, I really had to um, unlearn that. But um, pivoting um, the conversation um, to sexual trauma, and before we get into this, this is a trigger warning for the, the listeners. So if you don't want to hear a conversation about um sexual trauma and or rape please uh, fast forward but um we just want to get into the the heart of this conversation um so when i was in undergrad um i was a sex worker uh i was a sex worker and i um did it in order to finance my transition uh and i remember one time and i ended up being a victim of sexual assault uh, during one of my um, dates, um, I was dealt by a client, um, you know, negotiated, um, started off with a condom. And then um, the next thing I knew, the, the date um, nutted in me, I could feel the nut and then I gagged. And I realized he took off the condom and it turned into a big situation um, where I attacked him. And, you know, I, I, it turned into a big thing. But um, that particular incident, um, it literally changed the way how I had sex after that because I was so uh, mistrustful mm-hmm. of um, sexual partners and I was like hyper, um, I, could, I had to control everything in a way that I wasn't um, having a pleasurable sex. And it wasn't until I got to law school, like many years later in 2016, and I was talking to a close girlfriend about the situation. And I never really, because I responded to it so aggressive and like fighting, I didn't really give myself permission to see myself as the victim in that situation. And since it happened during the course of me engaging in sex work, I always characterized it as, well, um, charges to the game, where it was just a part of the game. And one of my girlfriends had to, like, in the course of the conversation, she was like, no, sis, like, that was sexual assault. Um, that kind of explains why you kind of have this hatred towards men or you feel this, this way about men. And, like, it wasn't a charge. She told me it wasn't a charge to the game situation. It shouldn't have, like, just because you were doing sex work doesn't mean that you deserve to have that happen to you. Mm-hmm. So when we, ha- uh, shout out to my um, girlfriend, Diamond. Um, after I had that conversation, it kind of uh, started this ripple effect where I kind of looked at that situation 
as a sexual assault. And I saw how it impacted um, how I was um, having sex. And it, ca- it caused me to go on this journey of like doing like the deep digging of getting to a place where one, I kind of had to shift um, how I prioritize these men in my head. Because even though it had been long since I had engaged in sex work, I was still being drawn to like the DL closeted, being drawn to a type of man that the risk of me being in that situation again was um, high. And I just had to go on the self journey to really figure to to get comfortable in my body, to get comfortable negotiating, um, to get comfortable I'm really asking for what I wanted in the bedroom and not feeling like less of a woman or feeling like because I like um, like this particular sexual activity that it's going to uh, turn this man. Like, I really had to confront all of that because I knew that my ultimate goal is I like to have sex and I, I want to feel comfortable having sex and feel aware in my body, but I can't operate from this um, place of shame. So it, 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 took a, it took a long time for me to get to where that place that I am now, but I'm so thankful to my girlfriend that I was able to have that conversation and she was kind of able to um, very listen, but also encourage me to um, reframe that particular situation. Absolutely. Part of your sexual journey that I'm hearing though echoes what most women feel. Most women are unable to center themselves in sexual pleasure. We have been taught that we are supposed to sacrifice for goodness. Which also means, oh, I don't really like this, but I'm not going to say anything because he seemed to like it. Oh, it doesn't hurt that bad. It's fine. It'll be over in a minute. And you did the, I see sex workers who do this all the time too, right? We're going to charge it to the game. Well, if I, you know, I'm getting paid or no, just because you got paid, whatever. It doesn't give anybody the right to violate your boundaries, period. And I grew up, my mama told me, don't be a $5 hoe, be a $5,000 hoe, right? So sex work is all good in the hood and you're still a human who has boundaries and people who are going to be habitual line steppers are dangerous, right? We don't know what that person has been doing and the fact that they would take a condom off, that they would tie and enact power over you because that tends to be what assaults are about, right? Rape, incest, sexual assault are typically about a person trying to enact power and feeling more power over you and using their genitals to do it. You know, so, yeah, I was going to say, I can relate to a lot that my sister just spoke on. I know for me, um, as a, as a child, so immediately, um, when I realized that I needed to have shame about who I was, I talked about how I isolated and I, I was literally a non-personality. My goal in every physical, in, 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 in every physical room that I was in would be to disappear. Mm-hmm. The goal was to not be seen, to not take up space, to not do anything that could attract to the attention that I was something to be ashamed of. So and my reaction was, well, then I'll just withdraw. And I and so, well, what that also did, it created this barrier in communication between me and my parents 
who in their thought were doing everything they could to protect me. But when my mother, when we would be out at the mall and she would be um, with me and it'd just be me and her, and um, she would have to, sometimes she'd say, okay, you go to the, you go in the bathroom and I'm gonna be waiting out here. Well, if I wasn't able to tell her that there were times when men were pulling their penises out on me in the bathroom. I wasn't able to tell her those things because I felt like I would be confirming that I somehow was being fast and that this somehow is happening to me because of who I am and how I'm showing up. Yep. So I began to keep secrets and I learned how to play play in a weird way. I learned how to keep the secrets of these men, these people that I would be around or I, I even, and so as an adult even, I, I found myself involving, getting involved at a very young age with significantly older men. And I found myself, um, as a matter of fact, that's pretty much all I dated is significantly older men. Um, and I found myself choosing those relationships, one, because it was an affirmation to have an older man tell me, I think you're beautiful. I think you're pretty. I think you're sexy. And in return, I will keep the secret of this not so comfortable experience that we might have with each other. Or the fact that you told me one thing and we, that we weren't gonna have sex, but ultimately I feel like I have to perform now because I'm here. And once again, I show up in the space. Um, there's something that I used to feel and I don't feel it anymore, but I used to feel that I was, I didn't feel beautiful, but I knew I was fucking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, like I knew I had a sway over people, mm -hmm. but I did, it did not, no one had ever told me that I was beautiful in a way that didn't, didn't want, didn't mean, let me see what you look like naked. Right. Right. So I, I, I carried that with me for so long. And so then when I was sexually assaulted violently as an adult and, and mind you, it wasn't until Brianna said that story that I really thought back at how many times I have been sexually assaulted. If we're going to, because there's a way in which you compartmentalize your mm -hmm. experience and you shunt them away. And once again, I'm good at keeping a secret. So much so that I can keep it from myself. Yeah. yeah. And so it's just interesting to, to, to know how the beginnings of that shame in childhood just manifested. And, and to this day, I find myself like having to say, and I'm, I'm married and my husband and I've been together for 11 years, but I still find myself having to say, you know what, I actually don't like that. Mm -hmm. That makes and, and and not feeling like that is a bad thing, right. and it, and 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 it's not because he's doing anything that is intentionally making me uncomfortable necessarily, but I have my trigger still, mm -hmm. and I'm now just now getting into that place where I feel like I can speak on. Right. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. No. And so, both of you have just spoken to one of the very first steps uh, us sexuality professionals do, and that's give permission. So I say give permission, but I also ask for permission from everybody I see. I ask permission to talk about these things, but I also give them permission to talk about them. You can say these things out loud and I'm not going to think any less of you. I'm not going to think you're a horrible person because you've survived all of these traumas. Because you are still here and existing, right? I think one of the hardest things for people who are surviving sexual trauma is when their body reacts to it. Right? And their body reacts with pleasure and they're like, what was that? I did not want this, but they feel bad. And they feel like, well, 
if my body reacted, then it, it couldn't have been that bad. But meanwhile, your body is doing exactly what you need to do to survive. Because you have to remember, both of you have been through experiences that people do not survive. That people do not get out of. Whether that is physically, because they end up murdered, or whether that's mentally, because they break so much to a point that they have psychological breakdowns, that they are never the same person. They are never able to function ever again. And you all did exactly what you needed to do in those situations to survive. Whether it was to fight or to freeze, be really still. We call it dissociating or spectating. You literally step out of your body and you see everything that's going on. You're both nodding at me, so I know you know this feeling. Mm -hmm. yeah. People know this feeling. They just don't know what it's called. They think it's normal. They're like, I'm just going to be over here. And that person's going to do there. And my body isn't me. I am separate from my body. That's not me. Right? I can put my mind in the Swiss Alps, but this isn't me. Then we also have this idea of trying to run away. Right? However you want to run away. is I just want to get away from this. And then there's fawning. And fawning is a traumatic response where you people please. So it's, I want you to love me. How do I please you? Oh, you want me to do that? I don't, I don't really want to do that. But you seeing me and acknowledging me and validating me means more than me not wanting to do this thing. So I'll do it. That's a traumatic response. And it permeates not just our sexual relationships and romantic relationships. It permeates friend groups. It permeates work. It permeates school. Because you don't want that disappointment because that disappointment will tell you that you're not lovable. That you're not wanted. And that is a narrative that some of us get put into us very, very early that we are continually trying to disprove. And so trauma survivors, sexual assault survivors, especially ones who have had any type of boundary crossing, right, will think that, who's going to want me now? I'm damaged goods. Nobody's going to want that. And that's absolutely untrue. Because survivors are some of the most resilient folks who learn through vulnerability, but can have the most sensual pleasure because you're so in tune with your bodies right you know those triggers that give you the creepy crawlies and the goosebumps and then you know those things when the goosebumps originate from a different place that it's completely pleasurable and indulgent but it's when you're able to house and i call it grounding most folks call it grounding right i can feel my feet on the floor i can feel the chair against my bottom I can feel air going into my nose, down my esophagus, through my lungs, and you can tune in to those sensual parts of yourself to remind you, I am in this room safe. So I'll give you an exercise. When you're with your husband and you're starting to remember an assault, touch your wedding ring, right? Play with your wedding ring around your finger to remind you, like, wait, no, this is my lover. I'm safe with my lover. We made a commitment. It's been 11 years in this thing. Yeah. <laughs> hey, babe, get off me. I don't like that. It's reminding me of some stuff. I need to pause. I want to switch positions. I don't want to do this anymore. Let's come back to it later. Sex does not begin and end with a hard dick. It doesn't. 
right? The dick can come first and you have a whole bunch of other time to do a whole bunch of other stuff. And then the erection might come back. Who knows? But sex does not begin and end with a hard penis, right? But grounding yourself in safety, right? Rihanna, for you, like figuring out maybe an internal condom, right? Grounding yourself of like, hey, let's switch condoms again because like this one's dirty. Mm -hmm. Reminding yourself like, oh, wait, this isn't that person. And I'm also not the same person. You can do those small little exercises and if people are willing to consent and work with you, that's a green flag. You can still get some of this because me and you was right. like, right? Somebody like, oh, why do you want to use them? Or they too small for me. Sir, I don't have the time. It is 2021. We all know that condoms go over forearms. Right. So unless right. you got a real forearm and you are not in porn making millions of dollars. I have a question. This. How do you handle, so then I, I've had this experience and I found this to be um, traumatizing as well, where I've told my truth to members of my community, other trans women, women in general, and I've, I've and unintentionally, I think, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to say that it's unintentional, but there are people that have made me feel like I was stupid. Like when I told the details of how things happened, it's like, oh girl, well you should have known. And you shouldn't have drank that. And you shouldn't have done this and you should have done. And there's this whole idea that if you're not the perfect victim, that if you did, that if it's not something that is, you know, that that's like a 48 hours special, that then somehow your story is something that you contributed to. Mm -hmm. And it's traumatic because I've also had women that I told my story to and they was like, oh girl, that sounds sexy. Mm -hmm. That sounds hot. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, it wasn't hot though, but it wasn't. And I'm trying to get them to see, like, no, and I did it in this moment. I was trying to be vulnerable with you and share something I really, makes my mouth taste nasty to speak on. And and you're taking this as something that's hot and ooh girl, he sounded sick. Ooh girl, you know, that sounds like the piece of trade I want to have. And I'm like, no, he actually was horrible. And I really don't know why you're not being able to understand. And, and, and so then it makes me in a weird way feel like I don't have a safe place a lot of times where I can really say it because there are I've I've experienced that enough that I'm it makes me question myself like mm-hmm. Well, I know that it was violent. I know that it was horrible. I don't question it happening, but I mm-hmm. question my own sanity as far as thinking, well, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was some of my fault. And even though I know that it's not, mm-hmm. I've gotten that reaction enough that it makes me question it. Yeah. Well, welcome to Gaslighting 101. Now we're going to rebuke that. In the name. Right? Because that's exactly <laughs> what that is. It's gaslighting and minimization. And the second piece of that is it's rape culture. You just have to be safer than the other woman in the room, right? I can be drunk, but I'm not as drunk as she is. So I'm not as at risk as her. And rape culture has put us in this idea that it's not about safe. You remember the old school ways? Like we all go to the club. We all leave the club. Right. We're not leaving the club with no randos. We're going to come find you. We will shut this shit down and close and lock all these doors and flip all these lights on until we know where you are. Right? And we're just now starting to see that bar culture change over to have safety. But the idea of rape culture, which built by men, 
perpetuated by men that women internalize is that it's our fault. Ain't no, I, I wrote this, ain't no girl fast enough to catch a grown man that isn't attracted to kids and ain't no skirt short enough ever to say yes. Period. I don't care if you naked in green body glitter. If you said no, you said no. And no, I take that back. It's not even if you said no. If you ain't say yes, it ain't a yes. Period.com. I don't care if he was seconds before sticking it in. If you'd be like, I'm good. No, thank you. Then it's a no. They don't get to take advantage of that. So stop listening to them. They are not your safe spaces and they do not deserve your narrative. And the the part, and I'll tell you because I studied uh, rape fantasy specifically in black women, looking at the dynamics of power exchange that happen in rape fantasy. And so there are two types. There's erotic. So think of um, if you was watching Skinamax when you was a kid, right? Mm-hmm. Jazz music. And they knock his stuff off the desk. And she's like, oh, no, I don't want to do it. But she's unbuttoning her blouse. Mm -hmm. She's taking off her own pants, right? She's like, oh, you're taking such advantage, right? So that's an erotic idea of rape fantasy. And then there's the aversive, which is what people think of as violent. Of like, I just want you to take control of me and blah, 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 and use me, blah, blah, blah. People have these fantasies because in my study, we looked at, do you believe that power is exchanged in sexual interaction? So the people who have these fantasies believe that power is exchanged. Why would black women want to exchange power in a sexual interaction? Because we're fucking exhausted. We gotta do so much for everybody and we out here so busy trying to be super women, put the capes down, sis, that we are exiting our sexual pleasure. So now we got to make all the decisions in the bedroom too? No, God. No, God, no, thank you. But if we want sexual pleasure, then we're Jezebels and whores. Mm-hmm. Right? So if, I don't want to be a Jezebel and a whore, but I would like to have all of this fun stuff. And the way my mind can put it together is through this idea of a rape fantasy. Your real life interaction, though, of sexual assault, both of you, is not to be compared to a consensual, non-consensual scene though, right? You do need to be heard and supported and validated. That was wrong. I am so sorry that happened to you. There's no way that that should have ever happened. Your voice has been heard here. I am so glad you survived that. What do you need? How do I take care of you? What do we need to avoid that's a trigger? If you don't ever want to drink another Bloody Mary, then like we won't have Bloody Marys at brunch. That's fine. And you have people that uplift and support you because we have internalized, and you called them out on that bullshit too. Be like, well, hey, rape culture, what's up? Nice to see you here. Didn't know mm-hmm. when you arrived. Right. And go ahead and let them know that you need to readjust this attitude because you all have worked in your narrative. You're, you're able to tell me these stories. You're, you're not a ball on the floor right now. You're not a puddle, right? There's a young woman somewhere that has not worked in this narrative. There is someone that this lives at the very front of their mind all of the time. And they see. They see what people post online. They see who they support. They hear the music that they play in the car. And they see when other people 
open up when when elders open up what other people do and instantly decide that they're not going to. That was me for many, many years. And it was therapy, believe it or not, that gave me permission to be able to, to experience all of my feelings mm -hmm. and also gave it gave me permission for it, for me to also realize that I have, I, I, I survived and I'm not the same person that I was in the past because there was a part of me that after my sexual assault, I became very promiscuous. I was already, you know, enjoying my my life, but there's a different level to what I'm what I'm saying when I say mm -hmm. I. I'm not saying I was just having sex. That was that was it was it, it was almost like I had the design in my mind that I was going to cleanse my palate by exposing myself to as much because what I what I consider consensual sex as possible. Like I'm gonna do this and. That's gonna be a memory. One day I'm gonna. There's gonna yep. be one dick. One. This next dick is gonna be the dick that's gonna wash me anew. You know, <laughs> like I really believed deep down in my heart that 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 there, that there would be some nigga that could just touch me in the right way, and I would mm -hmm. just come undone, and, I, and this this which this trauma would go away, and it hasn't, and it has not, and that's okay too, and that's also what therapy taught me as well. Like I'm very hard on myself. Um, for how I affect other people, mm -hmm. and um, I'm I'm I to this day I, I suffer from severe social anxiety. I'm medicated as a result. I do have to regularly go to a doctor because of the the medications that I take for them to monitor me and all of that jazz. So this is a I'm a lifer in this. Like I'm a lifer in mental health care because mm -hmm. of what I've been through, and I think that's what helps me get to that place. But I'm also aware that had it not been for me going to shout out to Georgia State's Counseling Center. Hey, if Georgia it, State. If it had not been for my school counseling center introducing me to those free sessions and me kind of at least feeling a little bit better, even though I didn't necessarily feel my therapist could fully grasp as a as a non-black woman herself, I don't feel like she could fully grasp all of the levels. She, um, But I was able to, to say it out loud to her. And, and, and I was able to talk about it with someone. And I feel like that that experience makes me gravitate back to therapy now. Like yeah. there are times where I've gotten lax and I may let some time go and I'm not on my meds and I'm thinking I got it. And I'll find myself, the anxiety will get bad again or the, the depression will get really bad again. And mm -hmm. I realized that it is okay that it is a lifelong thing. I always thought therapy was something for not the, even even after I had been to therapy, I thought therapy was something that you went through for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And then it just, I'm done with it now, I'm healed. And I could never get to that healed place. And mm -hmm. so for me, therapy is a lifelong thing. So I'm excited to have you on today because I feel like that's not something that is talked about often. The idea that this is a ongoing process. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Rihanna. Yeah. No, no. I was just, um, I was, I was just feeling the vibes of the conversation. Um, I, I, I feel, I feel, I definitely feel who. I, so I guess I just want to pivot to say. First, I want to say this. I'm, I'm not. Even though I went through my trauma and I had that awareness, I am not completely healed. Like practicing to center myself, to center my pleasure, to center my body, 
that is like a daily intentional choice. And some days that is harder than others, but I feel like I've done enough work to um, make the incentive of that choice easier for me. Um, but it's something that in a in a white supremacist, anti-white, anti-black world that mm-hmm. I always have to practice. But the, the but the more you practice something, the more it comes habitual. And that's um, what I've hoped for. That's what um, I've prayed for. And to anybody that's listening, like like you said, somebody you don't you don't ever the world that we live in, we're never going to be completely healed. It's about um, generating new practices within us. And as a single as a single person, I get to practice this every day, twenty four seven, three sixty five, and that's okay. That that's okay um, because I feel like I'm in a space where I'm loving myself more. Mm-hmm. I'm having the best sex of my life. Um, I'm connecting with partners that really um, value um, my pleasure. And I feel like I'm able to prioritize my health, not only mm-hmm. just like my sexual health, but like my physical health in a way that I really didn't, that I really, it didn't matter to me because I was trying to suppress it because the sex for me meant so much more than the actual sexual gratification. It was linked to like my transness and you know my brokenness from my childhood. So mm-hmm. I say all of those things to say that it's a it's a daily it's a daily practice, and I constantly have to um, make the choice to choose me. Like every day when I wake up, that every choice that I make is to get my mind and my body in the best possible condition it can be. But I want to um, pivot. So what advice do you have for somebody that wants to get to a place where they're centering themselves sexually um, in the bedroom? So specifically for survivors, right, to slow walk this. Right. Um, People expect like, okay, well, I've been in therapy. If you haven't gone to therapy, go to therapy. Um, Find a practitioner that you can rap with. If If you're not feeling it, the number one indicator for success is rapport. Rapport. How you get along with a person actually affects your ability to feel healed and to feel better. So if you don't get along with them, stop paying them that money and go to somebody else. You know that's healing in what you just said. It took four tries to find a good therapist that worked for me. And I felt bad at first that I would start these relationships. And then because, because I felt like... I, I felt I felt like I would let them down or that I would, mm-hmm. you know, there, there was that feeling of, I we've now shared. So then even though this isn't working for me and I'm not really, if you don't have the report because I felt like I shared with you, I feel like, well, now we have a covenant. And it was really difficult for me to leave some of my therapists and find and seek what I have now, which is a wonderful relationship. And I'm actually my current therapist is a black man. Mm-hmm. And it was important for me. I didn't know that I needed a black man, but it was important for me to have conversations with a male figure that could tell, that could kind of, I don't know, it, it, it was it was, it was was cathartic for me to be able to share some of my traumas and have a male figure identify, yeah, that is, that that, that was trauma. Like what, what, you're, what you're just skating over right now, that what you're saying, sharing to me right now, that is trauma and it was just healing in that. So I wanna shout out to my dog, I love Hey, um, and shout out to Georgia State. I went there for a year. When I was in high school in Atlanta, uh, um, <laughs> the the survivors, right? We're we're going to therapy. Um, we're slow walking it, right? And you don't have 
to be absolutely 100% okay right out the gate, whether you're partnered or not, right? I also don't think you have to disclose to every single Tom, Dick, Harry, and Mary uh, about your history unless you want to. And that's going to be really important who you're, who you're going to give this narrative to and what they're going to do with it. And you want to make sure that, one, it's consent. So, like, I have something really hard I'd like to share with you. Is that okay? It involves sexual assault, right? Because a person might be like, hell no. I have my own history and trauma that I can't hold nobody else's. So, no, mm -mm, thank you for asking. We need to go somewhere else. Let's, let's pivot somewhere else because I can't do that. Or I'm more than willing to hear it. Right, because I've had I've had lovers in my office. I do a sexual history interview for every person that I see, child or not. Um, but they would hide their sexual assaults from their partners because they didn't want their partners to look at them any differently, right? To see them as weak or broken or something to protect. And then partners would be like, and typically cis males that are black would be like, I'm so mad, I'm gonna go fuck him up. And I'm like, well, that's not helpful. That's not the response. Right, like, <laughs> uh, cute and like <laughs> cute. That person been dead seven years. Like, what, <laughs> right. I don't need you to hold my anger for me. I'm a whole human. I have feelings, right? I need you to be here for me and notice when I tell you to back up off my neck like that. I need you to back up off my neck like that, right? So you're gonna slow walk it, and sometimes this also might be just looking at masturbation right whatever that masturbation might look like for you getting to appreciate your body so yes appreciate your body hands yes. toys fingers toes i don't really care but then i also want you to look for pleasure in your body outside of just your genitals right mm. is it pleasurable this food on your palate right now is it pleasurable the way the sun hits your skin is it pleasurable this body scrub you're using in the tub is it pleasurable to move your hips to this bachata? Like what is going to be comfortable for your body that's bringing it joy and pleasure? Because you got to remember that your body is capable of great pleasure, even after great pain. And sometimes it's not that easy to remember. So seek out their pleasure, right? Physical, mental, things that make you laugh. Um, and then also masturbate. And sometimes this might be mutual masturbation. Right. If you're partnered or have a partner, go ahead and watch them do their thing. Put on a show for yourself so they can watch how you like to be pleasured yourself. They should be wanting to help you, no shade. That, that's my personal rule. Well, you should. know what? There's something to be said for a good mutual. That's a mutual. I, call it I have mutual learned so much about my male partners by watching them pleasure themselves. And not even that I'm trying to learn to please them, but learning what I like to see. Like mm -hmm. That's actually what I prefer sexually. Is mm -hmm. Because of what I've been through, I feel like there's a lot of pressure around like Penetration. And yeah, like, I don't think that that's more intimate. <laughs> I feel like that's more intimate than penetration, especially as I get older. Like penetration is still good when it's good, but I'm more into touch and mm -hmm. and noticing a man that knowing how to touch a girl, that that those type of like small nuances mm -hmm. matter to me, especially if you're a trans attracted girl, because it's just a you know, you can't be rough. Like, we're still flowers. And, you know, sometimes the men try to, to jack them. us I up, like we a football or something. And it's right. just like... And that's the other thing, right? To let somebody, especially for trans women, ogle your body, right? They are sitting across from you, 
looking at all of that goodness and then it's getting them hard it's get they're attracted to you right not just what you're doing for them and that's a whole nother thing that's a whole nother intimacy level of like you want me don't you I can see that you want me show me that you want me and then to open yourself up to that it does take a lot right so instead of putting a fupa on a forehead like they just see your fupa right they see this darker part of your inner thigh they see where this electrolysis maybe didn't get as good as they needed to get got this <laughs> this time so they see you and you get to see them and then you get to exchange that arousal energy between each other so you're in that moment of pleasure again coming back from the pain that you've survived. I want to talk a little bit about the trauma that comes from being, um, I know for me and I know for a lot of my, my friends, we I come from the experience of being very, very, very sexually objectified. And that is a lot of what the social anxiety I have about going, going outside because there, you know, the male gaze is real. And then mm -hmm. the way it affects you is real, particularly if you're someone where I don't, you can't walk up on me too fast. You can't touch me without my consent. Like I'm, you know, like it, I, I, I don't like hugging, you know, like, you know, every, you know, the people, oh, I'm a hugger. Oh, I'm not though, no, no. Because I, I'm aware that there's a power dynamic there that can happen and I, and, but 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 for me in particular, when I'm when I'm maneuvering in public, I find myself always being afraid because I don't know how this could turn. And in particularly as a trans woman, once they realize I'm trans, it usually ramps up the hey, let, let me grabbing the dick, pulling it out in public. You let's have sex behind the building because now they want to have this instant encounter. They want to because you're because I'm trans and they've deduced oh, you're here to please, like you became this person because you want to be with men. There are even men that I've dated in relationships where I was like, you know, you really don't know me. You really just like fucking me, but you don't know me as a person because you can't really have very deep conversations with me outside of, damn, you beautiful. Damn, I want, mm. and, and And so I find myself constantly feeling objectified at all times. Mm -hmm. And like you said, the mutual masturbation allowed me to be able to have those moments with my partner where it was a healthy kind of affirming, like, I trust you. I know this isn't rooted in just you wanting to possess mm -hmm. me. I know that you care for my mind, body, and soul, all that. Mm -hmm. And so then it feels very good. But most of the time in my life, it has been the other side where mm -hmm. it's this gaze, this sexual gaze that I did not ask for. And because I'm pretty and because you got them big ass titties, you're supposed to be excited that I think I want to, you know, that I, you know, you're supposed to be happy. And so then I deal with that. So I, I'm a, I have a catchphrase. <clears throat> it's called snatching edges with love. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. <laughs> so I, I'm going to snatch a little bit of edges with love. Cause what you told me earlier is that you grew up accustomed to minimizing yourself. So you wouldn't cause a scene. Right. So you wouldn't reflect shame back on your family and specifically your parents. And what you just told me is that when you go out, you minimize. So you won't be part of a scene. So people won't 
reflect on you the difference of who you are, how you are. And so you're still existing in that norm, right? That childhood narrative. I told you with love. It's with love. And so that's still coming out, right? Because Tom, Dick, Harry, and them, like, who give a goddamn? As long as they're not touching you, you're right. But you should be able to walk down the street as sexy as you want to with whatever hourglass, big titties, flat ass, big ass, big belly, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? And be able to be all of who you are. And all of the fierceness of all of the fight, especially especially trans women, the fight to be who you want to be, who you are, and to exist in a world, y'all fight way too damn hard to be minimizing self anywhere. All of that work, all of the coins, all of the learning that you do, all of the thoughtfulness in your appearance, and we gonna minimize that? Right. Because Marquise wants to try and get in some? He ain't got that much power. He ain't got that much power. I understand being safe at all times, right? Yes. But the fact that you don't get to go and experience life because it is pain over here? Nah. Hell nah. But you're used to shrinking. You're used to making yourself smaller. And so that's your homeostasis. It's what you fall back to. I bet you when you and your lover get in any type of argument or disagreement or conflict, you get real small. And I'm strong. I'm a, I, I'll go into, I, I'll go, I'll disappear. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's, that's actually my, my trauma response. I just, mm-hmm. Yep. So you're doing that. Um, so I I think we are at time, but before before we go, sis, did you have any final questions that you wanted to ask? Well, I wanted to if, if okay, so we have I know that there are people that are listening right now that like you said earlier may not be necessarily at the place where they can even fathom you know, um, sharing or or going to see a therapist. Like, cause there's the fear that I initially had of um, telling someone or saying it out loud. It was like, why do I keep wanting to talk about this? Why is this something that I just, like, it was almost like I, I on purpose felt like it was important that I never tell anyone this thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, but, and it was also because every time it was even thought of or brought up, it triggered real feelings, heart increases, all of these other things, like I'm yeah. going through now a thing. And I, I, my question for you is, what do you say, what do we say, or what to the, to the young woman that may be listening right now, what do we say to her that may have just experienced some type of sexual violence or trauma and is considering maybe going to see somebody, but is afraid. Yeah. So you don't have to start sitting in the room, right? You can start with a a super close friend, uh, depending on the type of trauma and how old the person is. I will say sometimes we do, we're mandated by federal law to report to somebody 
uh, just keep that in mind, especially if they're a minor. Uh, but you don't have to start this with a person. You can start this alone, right? I would say um, The Body Keeps Score is a great book to read, um, to talk about living in body and what it feels like. Uh, Therapy for Black Girls is an awesome podcast that will talk that talks about sexual assault and trauma and and working on starting to heal from that. So you can start to look up things and test out the waters to see like, ooh, I, I really do want to talk about this. You can journal, right? Because sometimes things living on paper helps it not live in our minds. You can make a playlist and just weep. And that is okay as well. You can look at people who are powerful, right? Like you all are mentors because you've survived sexual assault. You've shared that with folks. And now people are like, whoa, whoa, I can, I can go do this work. I can be married. I can get a law degree. I can do these things. So looking to the community around you, listening to their stories and seeing that most days they're able to get up and go and some days they're not. And that's okay. For black women, we tend to forget and we tend to think that we can't be puddles on the floor. I can't go to pieces. I can't be a puddle on the floor because too many people need me. Or if I start crying, I'm never going to stop. If I go to a puddle on the floor, then who's going to scoop me up to? Because I scoop up everybody else. That's one of my favorite things about this work. I provide office space in this telehealth world for black women to go to pieces on the floor and I just get to sit with them through that. I get to help uplift them when they're ready to come back together or they can leave it with me if they need to. And I'm fine holding those pieces until they're ready to come back and look at them again. If someone under the sound of our voice right now wants to um partake in your services, how can they reach you? One, they have to live in Pennsylvania or Missouri to be seen by me as a therapist because that's where I am <laughs> licensed. Um, but two, you can visit Lex, L-E-X-X, sex, S-E-X, doc, like doctor, D-O-C, dot com. And I have a little quiz on there. It'll tell you what type of services would be best for you. Um, and you can also follow me on Instagram. Please don't reach out to me on Instagram because I don't really those messages are kind of hidden and I'm not good with tech. I'm an old millennial. Um, so send me an email, go through, um, my admin team will get back to you. We can figure out if you need referrals, I would use therapy for black girls as a directory. There's also the queer therapy network as well, which is all a bunch of queer therapists. We are there all over the country. So if you're looking for, maybe a black trans woman that's a therapist, you might find that person on the Queer Therapist Networker as well. So those are two places, Therapy for Black Girls, Queer Therapist Networker, and then my website of LexSexDoc.com. Thank you so much. Dr. Lex, thank you so much for agreeing to do this, for agreeing to come on this podcast. I know that you are a very, very, very busy person, but we are so appreciative for you to for coming, not only coming, but we are so appreciative that you exist and that you offer your service and that you are a black um, queer woman doing your thing and that you are a, a resource and community because 
I know it feels good too when when black women come and they see you and they the relatability and just the mm-hmm. the care in your voice and I, I I felt like I got a free session right here on this podcast and I, I feel really good about that. So anytime, anytime, <laughs> anytime you call, I am here. Yes. Well, I'm gonna sign us out now. For those of you under the sound of my voice, we thank you for all of your love, supporting patronage on all of our social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Um, thank you to all of our patrons on Patreon. And thank you for listening to this episode today. We appreciate you for those of us who stuck around to the end. And we understand that this was a triggering conversation for some. And for some, this was very enlightening. And for others, this may be something that you just were curious about. But we're happy today that you guys were here to listen. And we thank you for all of your love and support. This has been another episode of Box Number 512 Podcast. Grow and Black Trans Woman Talk. And I'm one of your co-hosts, The Lioness. And I am Aeon. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Box Number 512 Podcast, Grown Black Trans Women Talk. And don't forget to become a patron on the Box Number 512 Patreon page, where we have all new exclusive content. And also, don't forget to follow us on our social media, on our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook pages. And also, become a subscriber on our YouTube page. Until next time, bye. Bye.